I See Dead Plants podcast shares the stories of people and plants, pests, and pathogens, and the conflicts among them. Join us as we speak to the folks who are helping the rest of us live healthier, more productive lives through pest management research. We strive to make science accessible. I See Dead Plants is created by the Crop Protection Network and hosted by Ed Zaworski. The Crop Protection Network is a product of land-grant universities. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for, the results. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot to unpack here, so bear with us, but we're going to try and hit on everything that we need to hit on for results. So take yeah. us, take it away, Ashley. Yeah, I, I should start off and say that in this uh paper, we just compared a few of the scenarios. So I think I forgot to mention earlier that we actually created like over 20 different scenarios. Mm -hmm. We kind of touched on eight scenarios in the, in the manuscript, but, um, I'll, I'll kind of tell you what those were before we get started, because obviously you wouldn't be able to understand what we're saying if, if I don't tell you what they are. So, um, the first one, that we uh, compared was a resistant variety. So okay. just, just just a host plant resistant variety for soybean aphids. And then the next two were um, susceptible varieties and just different things that farmers could do. So um, number two was a susceptible variety where the farmer didn't manage the aphids at all, no matter what the uh, population was. And then number three was a susceptible variety, but the farmer used an insecticide. Okay. On the soybean aphid. And then um, we'll kind of get into this, but then we analyzed both of these for the different types of pests. So whether soybean aphid was resistant or not to... to uh, Insecticides. To insecticides, yes. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. So uh, maybe I'll go over the uh, scenarios where there is no pesticide resistance. So okay. um, this would be like sort of a wild type situation before um, insecticide resistance began in Iowa. So um, we were comparing those three scenarios and within our framework and all the inputs that we put in and kind of the assumptions that we had to make, um, these are the the results that came out of that. So if you can imagine, I'm going to try to paint a picture of a graph for you because I think it's just easier. So on the, on the, y-axis we're going to have expected revenue so you can imagine dollars per acre on that axis and then on the x-axis is uh an increasing chance from zero to one that an aphid outbreak will occur okay so that's and we're defining an aphid outbreak as um a population that exceeded the economic threshold so the chance that the threshold was exceeded so that's kind of what we're working with here when we're comparing these. <laughs> so um, basically, if you're if you're not managing the aphids, as the chance of an aphid outbreak increases, you would be losing revenue. Right. Um, just because there's aphids and you're not managing them and they're causing yield loss. So if we look at uh, the first scenario and we're we're thinking of the the farmer not managing the aphid at all as the probability of an aphid outbreak increases, the revenue would decrease when you don't manage the aphid because an aphid outbreak occurred and uh, you didn't manage them. So uh, there would be yield loss naturally. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) And then when we look at when an insecticide application is made, um, 
what we're really trying to focus on is at what point does that insecticide application pay off compared to just not doing anything at all. Yep. Um, and for for the sake of this, it was when there was about a 30% chance of aphids. But all of this would, would vary greatly if, if a farmer were to put their inputs in and and um, right. their market values and, and that sort of thing. So is, is there ever a scenario where just applying a, you know, a chemical, a pesticide, an insecticide in this case, is there ever a scenario where that is more cost effective than using just uh, aphid resistance? And I know that's probably not widely available, but based on your guys' results, what would you say? Yeah. So yeah, in our results, uh, aphid resistant soybean varieties always offered more revenue for farmers than, um, than any of the other scenarios that we analyzed for, for literally everything that we looked at. And, um, so I think that's a really great point because there probably are situations where that would happen. And, um, I think a major one for that is just to note that all aphid resistant varieties are not created equal, right? So it right. would depend maybe on what variety you used and what yield potential it, it has. So, um, probably important for me to say now that we assumed for this that aphid resistant varieties and susceptible varieties had the same yield potential and that's uh, okay. just based on some I, I did a field experiment for two summers prior to to this project and where we were comparing those those two so susceptible and aphid resistant and they always had the same yield and sometimes resistant varieties were even better oh and so that's kind of why we made that assumption. But if you're using a maybe a less than superior aphid-resistant variety, then your results might be different. Gotcha. Um, and it's like any other, uh, you know, picking a variety of uh, soybean seed or, or corn seed. There's so many options. So it's it's reasonable to, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of choices, so it's hard to assume. But so basically you're saying resistant, susceptible, varieties of soybean in this case resistant or susceptible to aphids um yield about the same mm -hmm. okay or at least the ones that we used in our experiment did sure. um over a lot of different environments and in different years and stuff so um we we think that they're comparable at least and so yeah. um I, I don't think the yield differences would be would be that extreme but obviously you could incorporate them really easily and see if these, um, these things change for farmers. Think of the results and the scenarios that I just described that we're going to be comparing. Um, I think it's important that I kind of paint a picture for you of what we're, what we're kind of looking at. So all of these results are going to be expected revenue. Um, and so that'll be like you know, if you're looking at a graph, that's your x-axis. And we're looking at this over the probability of an aphid outbreak occurring. So those probabilities are zero to one and, you know, in, in increments along the way. Um, and we're, the I didn't touch on this before, but um, I did mention that soybean aphid is a sporadic pest, right? So that's kind yep. of why we're thinking of this in probabilities um, because that's really the best way to think of sporadic pests. So, um if you're thinking about that graph that I just painted a picture for, and um, we're, we're thinking of those scenarios, um, what we kind of found with our framework, given the input costs and everything that we put in, um, was that 
expected revenue decreased as the probability of an aphid outbreak was increasing when you did not manage the aphids at all. And makes that kind of makes sense, right? Because <laughs> if you're not managing the aphids and they're and they're there, then um, you you might lose yield, right? And subsequently right. revenue. So, um, and then uh, when we incorporate the scenario that includes an insecticide application, um, an insecticide application paid off when there was about a thirty percent chance of an aphid outbreak occurring, and that kind of makes sense, right? Because insecticides are pretty cheap inputs, so um, farmers would expect them to, to pay off most of the time. And then lastly, we found that pretty much all the time across all the scenario comparisons we made, aphid-resistant varieties uh, offer the greatest revenue for farmers because there isn't that additional input of an insecticide application. Gotcha. That makes sense to me, uh, you know, Using a resistant variety has less inputs than a farmer going out in springs. But would you say, would there ever be a scenario that spraying an insecticide would be of greater benefit than using a resistant variety? Yeah, I can think of a couple different scenarios for that. So um, the first one that immediately comes to my mind is um, if the resistant variety that you're using isn't um, performing as well as the susceptible variety. Gotcha. So that's to say that like it, it doesn't have the yield potential of the susceptible variety. Maybe it's not as elite um, genetics. Sure. So that can always be incorporated into the framework. But then also I think of aphid biotypes. And I think I touched on this earlier in the podcast, but um, there are biotypes of aphids that can overcome host plant resistance. So they've evolved, they've evolved a mechanism to be able to colonize plants that are meant to be resistant to them. And that gets really complicated, right? But um, um, that's the other thing that I can think of. If, if there's a lot of a particular biotype in the field, then you might still need to spray an insecticide. Gotcha. And to reiterate, a biotype is an organism that has identical genetic makeup basically to a bunch of other organisms. So as you talked about the life cycle of aphids earlier on, right? So a biotype might be one female that's asexually reproducing, creating a bunch of uh, identical offspring, right? So mm-hmm. so that, that could be a situation you're saying, right, where you could overcome that host resistance and then using an insecticide might pay its dividends over, over a... Uh, host resistant variety, right? So, okay. Sorry. Continue on with the results. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, then the most important thing that we were looking at with this framework is, um, what, what would happen in terms of revenue for a farmer when the aphids are resistant to pyrethroids, which is what farmers use the most frequently, right? And we've kind of established that that's an emerging issue in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, sort of Iowa, Minnesota, and the Dakotas. Um, so now on that picture I painted of the uh, graph, if you change the x-axis to be the probability of resistance, zero to one, um, that's what we're looking at here. So um, 
What we found was, again, that resistant varieties always offered higher revenue, and that difference was actually a lot greater. So they're offering um, greater revenue than when, um, when pests are resistant than when they're susceptible. Check out CropProtectionNetwork.org for the latest extension resources on field crop pest management. Identify pest issues, train using scouting tools, and discover strategies for keeping crops healthy. Okay, so now we're going to switch over to talking about um, if these scenarios, but in terms of whether the pest is resistant or not. So if you kind of think about uh, that graph that I painted a picture for earlier, but now the x-axis is the probability of resistant aphids being in the field zero to one. And why was your um, expected revenue? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the why is expected revenue. And, you know, this was important for us because, uh, as we kind of alluded to, the soybean aphid is becoming resistant to pyrethroids in mm-hmm. in the Midwest. So, like, Iowa, Minnesota, and the Dakotas. And so um, this part in particular is really important to try to figure out, you know, how is this going to affect farmers if this becomes more prevalent. So um, if we're thinking about that graph... Um, as, as the probability of resistance, uh, goes more toward one, um, we find that those resistant varieties, the aphid resistant varieties, um, still outperform an insecticide application or not managing the aphids. And it is actually a much greater difference. So they, uh, they provide more value for farmers when aphids are resistant to the alternative tactic, which would be pyrethroids and then makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and then um it if the farmer is going to apply a pyrethroid to pyrethroid resistant aphids as you can imagine um that is going to get less and less effective as the probability of resistance increases so i think um if we're tossing out a number in the manuscript it was around 50 percent which is a little bit alarming to us because that kind of means that 50% of the time farmers are applying a pyrethroid and not experiencing a financial consequence. I'm, I'm not totally sure what that means for their yield, but they're not right. uh, losing money compared to just not doing anything at all. And so um, that, that could mean that they are unknowingly contributing to more and more resistance over time. Ah, uh, Okay. Gotcha. Well, thank you for uh, getting us through the results there. I know there's a lot there to unpack, but certainly if you're interested, you can certainly go find this publication and read it. It's a very good read. It's very well written. So with that, I've got a few kind of closing questions for you, Ashley. Um, So after doing all this, and and I think that... uh, it's keeping in mind a farmer or a grower and helping them out. So after doing it, what would be your recommendations to a grower and and how could they use this? Yeah. So obviously the, the number one recommendation that we would make is, you know, it's really important for farmers to be out scouting their fields and knowing what's going on. Um, because, uh, you wouldn't know if you have aphids in the field, um, if, if you're not looking or having someone else look. And so um, we really recommend making sure that you're monitoring for aphids 
and keeping track of those populations so that you can make an informed management decision on whether you should use an insecticide or not. And that right. really comes back to the fact that insects are really, really adaptive. And so they're able to easily overcome a lot of the tactics that we throw at them. And sure. any time that you put an, an insecticide out in the world um, is a chance for them to overcome it. And on top of that, aphids reproduce asexually. So if there's some surviving individuals in the field, they're just producing genetic clones of, right. of themselves, of their resistant selves, right? And so those resistant populations can grow pretty quickly. So I think um, I didn't touch on any uh, scenarios in the manuscript where a farmer would be scouting and making threshold-based decisions. And that's just because um, we don't have a really good handle on how frequently farmers are scouting, right. um, who's doing their scouting, what are they paying for scouting. Right. Um, we, we just don't have a good handle on that. So when you put them next to some of these other scenarios with like scouting costs, they, yep. they look bad. Even though we know that scouting is way more cost effective and scouting and making management decisions based on that is way more cost effective than just a prophylactic application. Right. That, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if there's no aphids and you spray for aphids, you've essentially uh, flushed money down the toilet, right? I mean, yeah. so gotcha. Yep. So scout, scouting, scout, 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 make sure that the aphids there and make sure and see what kind of populations there. I mean, this is, yeah. This is IPM, folks. Uh, make sure that your pest is there, that you've correctly identified it before you do any management. Um, what? How can a grower... So we've talked about these equations and these scenarios. Is this something that a grower would be able to use themselves directly or would they need to contact like an extension specialist or a field agronomist to help them with it? Yeah, so we really, really want this to be something that farmers can just, you know, either pull up on a website or download as a file and use. But um, we're still in the process of making this uh, more available to farmers. And we, we really wanted some like really cool web-based tool for farmers to be able to just plug in their information. Right. Uh, but that proves to be very costly and not <sighs> in our budget. So we haven't been able to do that quite yet, but um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have at least like an Excel file that farmers can download and, and use that way um, in the future. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. So, uh, so this is a framework we talked about and it is a case study uh, what what Ashley's done it has been a case study for soybean aphid, but I, I'm assuming, but I'll ask Ashley, uh, is this something that is applicable to other crops and other pests? Yeah, yeah, that was the entire goal um, when we made this framework because, of course, we could make it super narrow focused and focused on soybean aphid, but we wanted to make something that could be more widely useful. So. Yes, um, if if you were to you know look at the the manuscript, I can't go into all the details, but the the variables in the equations are left broad for a reason, so that they can be applied in different soybean pests or even different crop pest systems. And another thing that I think is important, we kind of touched on biotypes, 
and that's a kind of resistance, right? And so yep. this is a good example of how the framework can be kind of modified to different uses. I used it for pyrethroid resistance, right? but that resistance term in the equation could easily just mean uh, a biotype, so a resistance to host plants. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's kind of... So it's kinda, a really flexible tool that could be used as a jumping off point Yeah. if somebody was so inclined. Yes, awesome. absolutely. And I, I invite people to uh, think about it and, and see if it can be made more complex for different uses or, um, you know, kind of build on it or expand on it um, for different crop pests or even for soybean aphid. But it's really kind of just a starting point to kick off any more discussions about it in the future. Perfect. Yeah, it sounds like it's greatly needed, at least, uh, like Willie said, and for the entomological papers, uh, talking about the economics. One final question here, Ashley, and, and it's uh, a reoccurring question that I ask in all these podcasts is, what does this mean to the, the general public? I like to use my mom as an example, uh, <laughs> sitting in Chicago, Illinois. She doesn't really have anything to do with ag uh, per se, but what, what would you say the implications are for the general public or somebody who's not associated with ag for this research? Yeah, kind of the one that jumps to my mind all the time is um, that the idea of pesticides in the landscape and um, so obviously if we can encourage people to scout and make threshold-based decisions or even use a host plant resistant variety instead of a pesticide or um, maybe like every few years in, in place of a pesticide, just, just getting uh, as many of those pesticides out of the environment as possible to help with, you know, human health, yep. soil health pollinators, beneficial insects, all those different things. Um, that's kind of where I think this work kind of has a public facing component. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the kinds of things that I like to think about, uh, that we could help with, with right. this type of research. Doing your part to help reduce, uh, yeah, like you said, all these pesticides in the environment that's been very prevalent in the media and to people, people are very familiar with this, right? So, yes. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thanks uh, for all the folks listening out there again for joining us on the IC dead plants podcast. Ashley, do you have any acknowledgements you'd like to throw out for people who helped you with your research? Yeah, of course I do. Um, I first would like to thank the North Central Soybean Research Program for funding all of the work that I did during my master's. And then, of course, like just everybody on my committee and my and my co-authors. So I'll, I'll just name them off now. Um, Aaron Hodson and Matt O'Neill were uh, my co-advisors on my committee and um, and really helped with the writing of this. And then John Tyndall, who is in the NREM department here at Iowa State, he is an agriculture, agricultural economist. He helped okay. a lot with the economics part of this. And then uh, Jared Nemi is a statistician, and he helped us create the, um, the equations that we used in the manuscript. So I thank all of them for the, all of their hard work on this research and making it possible. 
Perfect. Thank you again. Again, this is the IC Dead Plants Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Zaworski. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. IC Dead Plants bridges the gap between plant science research and the impact it has on our daily lives. It is brought to you by the Crop Protection Network within Extension and is sponsored in part by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. For more information on the topics covered today, check out cropprotectionnetwork.org. Remember, this information is for entertainment purposes only. Statements made in this podcast should be interpreted within the limited context of the particular topics being discussed. Contact your state extension program for local information on pest management. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to cropprotectionnetwork.org backslash about. Thank you for listening to I See Dead Plants.